And welcome back to Edric Putin Company, the podcast where anybody can inspire everybody. I'm Edric, your host, and joining us this week, I've got the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Levine Hemlani, the CEO and founder at Accelerate. Accelerate is reinventing education systems and pioneering the future of upskilling and reskilling. So Levine and I are going to be talking more about professional development and how things have changed. It's not just about chalking up the hours in courses, but identifying what works for you. So let's get this podcast started. All right, here we go. Hey, hi, Levine. Hey, Edric, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. How's everything with you? Great. Now, tell us a little bit more about Accelerate and what you guys are really doing around here. You know, it's amazing. Fantastic. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I'm absolutely delighted and honored. Accelerate is a education to employment platform, and our whole goal is to try and reinvent the way workforces are being built and are addressing some of the world's greatest challenges. Our education systems are completely obsolete, and now more than ever, we need millions of people learning very valuable skills in things like artificial intelligence, software engineering, cloud, cyber, agile, product management, design thinking, virtually anything that you can think of that really isn't taught in schools is becoming more and more necessary and relevant for companies across Asia that are facing this talent gap. And it's not just in hiring these sort of very highly specialized talent, right? It goes way beyond. It goes to companies that are being formed in biotech and fintech and, and regtech and all sorts of tech that now also need their own people, their own workforces to learn these skills and use them to innovate. Because now we're, we're sitting in a situation where it's innovate or die. And so one of the things that we're really passionate about is giving tons of talent the skills to go from zero to hero. These are our reskill solutions, finding all sorts of people from all walks of life that can go get jobs through our integrated platform in all sorts of great companies and move up in life, uh, but also really push the world forward. So we try and inspire them to go fight climate change, uh, to go fight breast cancer, lung cancer, use their almost superpowers uh, to go do good for the world, because now more than ever, we need that. And on the company side, you know, we work with some of the largest Fortune 500 companies and governments across Asia for them to use government grants as well as our uh, own platform to maximize their ROI when it comes to preparing their people for the future of work and for them to innovate within their culture using education. Oh, that's an amazing thing. It's huge. What your The market is so different from what we used to think about, right, with courses, which is basically, oh, uh, back in the day, it was just about using Excel and Word and uh, even learning about database management and SQBs and all that kind of thing, right? Just doing some data here and there. But now here we are talking about AI, technology, blockchain, crypto. There's so much uh, that's being shown on the platform and you're getting the talent based on the platform that you have to be able to share that information with one another. And that's that's really great. Um, I do also want to check, right? Like, say, for example, how long has Accelerate uh, been in the market at this point in time? I started the company about four years ago, and we've got about 15,000 alumni across Asia. That's amazing. 15,000 in just four years. You know, and how did you even you know, get started with that. This is amazing because now looking at this whole thing, right? Um, you started off as an investment banker. So how in the hell did you end up getting into the tech and education sector? Yeah, 
Um, that's an interesting question. So all my life, I thought I'd be a hedge fund guy or investment banker. And when I finally got there, when I was in New York, I found that I was drawn to, to something else. Uh, I could feel the sort of compulsive desire and maybe a bit of a restlessness when I was in my role as investment banker. It wasn't a bad role. It was just, you know, it wasn't right for me. And I found that I really wanted to do something entrepreneurial that could change the world and could have a very positive impact. And so I tried to find this, I guess, calling and truth by leaving that job and going on this world-changing sabbatical. I went to about 27 countries in about six months after leaving Wall Street to try and discover myself and to discover, like many young people, what I actually want to do with my life. And when I was in Africa, I had a chance to go build some schools, which totally changed everything for me, right? It was spiritual. It was cathartic. It was beautiful. Um, it was honestly one of the most special moments of my life to see that with my efforts and a team's effort, we can change the course of an entire community, of an entire individual's life because of education. A lot of the problems that the world faces is because of obsolete education systems, right? And a lot of the solutions actually come more than anything else from education systems. We as a human race are the byproduct of our environment, of our inputs. And if our inputs are so yesterday, then we're not training people for tomorrow. Right. If our inputs are so incentivized for people to go get jobs as lawyers, accountants, bankers, which isn't a bad thing. But then where are all the smart, young, hungry people that are fighting all the world's greatest challenges? You know, getting us off uh, meat, for example, getting us into space, getting us, you know, really into the future of where our, our, our unlimited boundaries lie as a civilization. And talent is really the game changer. So when I started to realize that, um, I came back to Hong Kong after a pretty tiring six months and really energized after this calling I found building this school. And I looked around and I said, okay, I definitely want to do something in education. I want to do something very uh, spiritually connected and very, you know, uh, soulful. But what could that be? It's not building a tutorial center. Um, and it's not getting another job in, in finance again. And I looked around, I just was looking at the problems, like what is really going on? And in Hong Kong, it's so hard to find great talent, you know, in product management or in coding or, or what have you. And so a lot of these companies have no choice but to offshore and outsource. And at the same time, many people wanted to go learn those skills. You know, it wasn't that people in Hong Kong wanted to stay outdated. So there's a big problem, like society is trying to move forward. Companies need to hire for this. Universities can't adapt. So what are we going to do? And so it started off very humble and I'd spent all my, my savings on traveling. So I didn't have much, but uh, it started with a dream of maybe, you know, maybe I could do something here to, to, to help the city become better. Because if we could accelerate, you know, education systems, we could accelerate Hong Kong and, and therefore we can accelerate Asia. Right. So um, I'm jumping the gun here, but. You mentioned just now that you spent all your savings in travel. So how in the world did you end up founding essentially a tech company? Yeah. Um, you know, I think <laughs> a lot of people who want to go start companies and have that dogged determination that they are going to do it, that it it's, comes from within, that no matter what, money is just one of those many obstacles you have to find out when you're first starting off. There's so many. And so I think 
really think that much about it, right? I said no to all the job offers and I, I kind of burned the boats as the Greeks used to say, which means I had nothing. I was forced against the wall. I had to find a way or otherwise, you know, this was not going to work. I was dead. So yeah, I used what most people forget exist, which is customer financing. You build a product and you sell it to customers and then you use that as your initial working capital. And so I had the idea, I had the concept. I was able to get 16 students in our first boot camp. Uh, back then, it was just a boot camp business, and then it evolved into a, a ed tech to employment platform. But uh, yeah, by using sort of deposits and the students paying upfront with a negative working capital business model, I was able to circumvent the sort of 500 US dollars that I had left in my bank account um, and, and build a business the good old fashioned way. Fantastic. That is amazing, you know, to hear the bootstrapping method still exists in this case. Because uh, over on our side, we're always thinking, how are we going to get startup capital? Do we need the investors? Do we need this and that? And then after we got to get an MVP out, we got to put this out to market, try and get funding or at least seed funding, you know. And here you are just saying that you had 500 bucks in your pocket and you're making it work already. So that is an amazing, amazing story, you know, on your end. Now, when you uh, when when you started up the company, in fact, right now, I think you should already know this, I believe, you probably already know what the end goal for Accelerate is. And what do you think that is that will go that will make you go, okay, I've really made it? Yeah, um, I would love to see us as a public company on the New York Stock Exchange. I'd love to see us operating in hundreds of cities. So we have offline, I guess, talent factories or, or, or talent nodes, as we call them, learning lounges that take, you know, very hungry talent and make them full stack, hireable, job ready, data scientists, software engineers. I mean, it's not just these, right? It's even roles that are going to come tomorrow that we don't even know will mm. exist, right? like a AI ethicists or like a biomedical engineer 2.0. So there's a lot of jobs and we don't want to be the company that's just doing the supply side. We want to be at the forefront of bringing new jobs into countries and cities like Singapore and Hong Kong, um, helping the economy, helping companies figure out what their future of work looks like on the demand side and the supply side using a data science approach. And so, the IPO is really just a milestone, right? To say, okay, well, we now operate in 500 cities and, and we have, you know, a certain uh, threshold of revenue. But what matters way more to me is that we are having a concrete impact on the future of humanity, right? We are producing now thousands, if not millions of, of talent that is out there fighting the world's greatest challenges. To the extent that we have all these young, hungry talent that is now you know, working in tech and using these skills and their knowledge applied to world changing problems, that to me matters way more because that is a fundamental altercation of what education systems are doing. I don't think one can really reach an end goal. I think it's a relentless self-improvement iterative engine. And so the destination is, you know, a very large you know, a Goliath, an iconic brand that's well-respected, that's changing, you know, the future of work and the landscape of labor markets across Asia, if not globally. But uh, I think what matters the most is really that impact, not these sort of one-off milestones or you, you've done some sort of 
capital raise and all. We're so focused on the long term, which is changing the entire education to employment system. When we talk about that now, the the issue I think that a lot of the regular men and women and anybody who is out there working, uh, the biggest issue is that yeah, okay, we're thinking about it. Oh, there's courses, there's a there's a dime a dozen, you know, for professional development. And then I'll be asking this thing: Is it credible? You know, uh, there there again, so many, even so many fly by night. Why can why should I do this one online? For example, that's always been my question. How did you establish? Uh, accelerate to become credible and basically just shut all these naysayers down. Yeah, there's a lot of naysayers that come along the way. Yeah, uh, no PC, no no PC responses here. By the way, on the Epic Podcast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah um, listen, a lot of people are going to tell you what you're doing is stupid and you shouldn't do it and you should go back to being an investment banker, especially if you don't really know what you're doing. Um, I was. 22, 23 when I started my company. And so I really didn't know what I was doing. But what helped was removing this idea of perception of credibility, right? Just because a course has a certain brand doesn't mean it contributes to a learning outcome. Like learning and education are very different. Yeah. People learn in mentorship and offline and online and social and peer and doing a project and doing a lab. Right. A course is just a course. A certification is, is, is relevant. Don't get me wrong, but I focused a lot more on outcomes, right? Are these companies that use us and use the government grants that help them get discounts um, and sort of increase their uh, ROI on L&D with us? Are they getting outcomes? Are there people doing innovative work? Are they able to solve business challenges? Are they able to move away from business as usual? Same with the governments that we work with and, and, and upskill and reskill. And the same thing goes back to the individual. If you're going through the course, does it get you to your outcome? Do you get a job? Do you get multiple job offers? And so seeing it as a problem to be solved and seeing the education and learning are very different helped me kind of overcome the are we credible or not? Because we weren't back in the day. We were a new brand. And there was a lot of things we had to figure out and, and fail and learn and keep going. As time went on, we had more alumni, we had more companies that we work with, we had uh, government accreditation, we had awards, we had instructors that had amazing backgrounds and super, super focused on the mission. And most importantly, uh, we were able to get outcomes, right? Thousands of outcomes. And if we can just keep focusing on that, matters a lot less than a certification, right? If you go to the gym, right, you go there for an outcome. Right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens with education. It's almost like a gym for your brain. And so as long as people get the outcomes, that matters way more than online, offline, uh, pre-recorded, live, that sort of thing. And everyone is different. And so I think one of the most important things when you address this is not about credibility, but, it, you know, it's more important to say what works for me. People shouldn't take a course because it works for someone else. Right. Everyone has their own learning style, their own learning way, their own methodology, their own, you know, everything around learning. It's such a personal decision. How do you mm -hmm. kind of let someone else decide that you have to look for truth? You have to be an independent thinker and say what's right for me and be as honest and objective as you can. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, then that brings up another question, you know, which is 
when we talk about identifying the trends and gaps in professional development, I mean, we, we had this conversation uh, offline, you know, the previous time, and we were really looking at, you know, how is it that we can identify this person's skill set and the gaps that they need? To me, this one was very, very key. And I, I really didn't know whether or not machine learning could really do this, or do we still need a, 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 you know, a group of people with a set of metrics to be able to understand all of this? I mean, how do you go about doing that? Are you speaking more at the individual level or at like an economy level? Where are the, the gaps? Yeah, I, I think it would be, uh, for me, it's more at the individual level, but uh, maybe you could touch on the economy level first. Let's let's go big first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so if you look at job data and look at census data and, and really approach it with objectivity, right? It's not meant to be a subjective. I think we should go start producing more product managers. No, I mean, you know, we're in touch with the Singapore government and, and MOM and all these different agencies. And there's real data that shows all those large tech companies that are coming to Singapore are in dire need of data engineers, product managers, data scientists, and that the local economy does not have that. It's a huge supply demand imbalance. And when that happens, innovation is withheld, right? We are holding ourselves back just because we don't have the talent of the future. And so it's a really simple thing, right? If there's a demand supply imbalance, can we address it? If so, does it help the world move forward? If so, then we proceed. Um, if there's no demand supply imbalance, like, oh, there's a job, but, you know, there's tons of talent for it and very few vacancies um, or vice versa. There's tons of demand for it, but, um, you know, we, we can't actually address it because, you know, like, I don't know, doing a space program right now, probably a little out there, a little bit difficult in this moment. But these sort of things are always front and center to look at it with a very analytical, objective, logical, truth centric approach. And I think the same thing goes to an individual level as well. When we work with companies, some of the largest Fortune 500 companies, they grant us access to data. And so we speak to C-suite, CEOs, CIOs, um, CTOs, and we get their sense of where P&L has to go, where the business has to go, where the digital transformation has to go, which is a great data point, more qualitative. And then we have a quantitative. So we do surveys, feedback sessions, interviews and all with the grassroots level. So we have a comprehensive bottom-up and uh, bottom-down approach or top-down approach that allows us to be exhaustive in our skills gap analysis for companies and for governments. And then that, you know, uh, this is what we'll do next. This is the problem. Let's identify the problem first, not the solution first. And the same thing goes to an individual, right? So we did companies, we did governments, we did economy level, but even at the individual level, asking yourself, where do you want to go, right? And inverting the inversion principle so if you have to get to a certain place how are we going to get there and work backwards working backwards i find is a really valuable uh skill set so if someone has to become uh, a data scientist or product manager at a certain company then we work backwards and say what are the skills they need soft skills hard skills motivation domain knowledge skills and we try and package that less of a certification and more of a full stack end-to-end -end solution that solves the problem. That's all we care about. We want to solve the problem because when we can, we release human potential.
Absolutely, absolutely. It's again, it's very different from what a manpower agency does. Let's let's be clear on that. That's no, but, for sure. but we work very closely with them, right? I actually you think you know this is something we didn't do much of in year one, but as we were approaching year three and four, we got very close with with government. We got very close with setting up public-private partnerships because even the companies then most people don't realize that, but there's a lot of government money to incentivize companies to spend on their staff for retention and for upskilling and for reskilling. No one really knows this and only works with government accredited companies like ours. But this is a great thing because, you know, in a, a COVID world, it's hard to justify spending on L&D. But mm. if, you know, the government covers 80, 90 percent, if not the whole thing, why wouldn't you? Right. It, it would be a moral obligation to your people to always invest in them and a moral obligation to your shareholders that you're innovating by having people who have the latest skills. Like imagine if you were in the 80s and 90s and you put Excel on everyone's computer and you go through the hassle of buying everyone a computer and they all show up with notebooks because they don't know how to use it. Mm -hmm. So. You know, but it's, it's a bicycle for the brain. It's like such a genius thing to give the, the these tools. You unlock such creative expression and literally, for lack of a better word, accelerate human productivity. And that is beautiful, right? Because mm -hmm. it was just the knowledge. It was just the awareness. It was just the education. That was the final gap. Mm -hmm. When you were also mentioning that uh, you were talking a lot about the C-level and the C-suite guys. And I always wonder to myself, you know, the vision, the, 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 the mission and the objectives that you need to hit and all this in the business world can be very clear. I, I do think that they are very tangible, very clear goals that are set most of the time, you know, about what kind of company you're looking for, what the image is, and the ultimate uh, business goals. At the same time, I'm always looking intrinsically. You know about this whole thing about corporate culture you know uh, when we do when you're coaching or you're teaching or you're finding the right people to talk about organizational development so on and so forth these are scientific tools but can corporate culture really be taught that's the thing every company is so different and corporate culture can it be taught or should it just be modeled i'm confused about that <laughs> i think um one of the greatest things about humankind is that we are very adaptive creatures mm. if i'm a demotivated individual but i'm surrounded by even right now an environment of high potential people that are doing amazing things i'm going to let that it's a process of osmosis it's just gonna sink mm. in without me even realizing it my my body my mindset everything i say do and think is going to mimic the tribe i'm around so and vice versa, right? If I'm around a negative culture or a, a, you know, one that doesn't have the right values or one that, that prioritizes process and bureaucracy, that's going to become me. And the crazy thing, Edric, is it's not just who I become at the workplace. It's also who I become outside of the workplace. Yeah. If I'm super ambitious, the workplace, I'm probably going to be even more ambitious with my, my, my health or my financial goals or my fitness goals. Um, or my relationship goals. And so the universe is really interconnected, not to get philosophical, but people are very adaptive. And subconsciously, if you let things sink in, if you just put them in an environment and the input is really good, the machine doesn't actually do anything. If input is good, the output is good, right? If input's bad, it's just a law of nature. It's literally the law of cause and effect. 
you can't fight that law. It just is the way it is. That's a universal principle. So if you can't fight it, you know, you should embrace it. You should use it to your advantage. You should be the architect. You should be very careful. You should be super, super conscious of the way you, you, you think about values and culture and professional development. And you should own it. You know, you should, you should totally, totally drive it and, and be the architect of it. Corporate culture, the biggest challenge is that once it is established within the company in itself, let's just say, for example, okay, you're working with these guys and it's get, okay, this is how we get it done. This is the model and all that. Boom, 10 years later, a new head comes in and, you know, th there's a chance that the whole thing could just be, you know, dug up and thrown out and a brand new system starts all over again. So the problem is that corporate culture, do you think that that's something that is based on a, a longstanding name like tradition or is it something that's constantly evolving? Change is constant. Change should be constant, right? Life and death is a clear example, right? A new generation comes out, a new species comes out. So I welcome it. I actually think there are elements of tradition that you should hold on to, values, mm. right? But there's always two questions, right? What business are you in right now? And what business are you trying to become? What is the business of, of where you're going? It's the same with an individual level. It's it's who you are today as a result of all the inputs you've ever had from the moment you were born. And there's also who you're trying to become. Who are you going to become? So to address your question, I think it's, it's really, really important that you just look at the inputs, right? It all starts with looking at the inputs. Mm. Um, it, and if the inputs, I mean, the inputs are going to change. Change is necessary. So then the question is, how do you create positive change? not negative change. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up because it's something that, I mean, you've just changed my mindset about something. That's for sure. Because initially, I used to think that setting up a company means, okay, the company is, it. I, I want to build it this way. I want to build it this way and it's going to run forever. You know, that's the dream. But the thought of succession, the thought of making it better, you know, and succession like what you meant uh, like what you mentioned it has to evolve it has to keep changing and it has to keep improving for better or for worse it will change that's for sure and nothing lasts forever you know um so yeah thanks for thanks for changing my mindset about that you're really really it was super rigid at that point when it's I was a very buddhist it. principle right very like you have to accept change you have to embrace mm -hmm. change i do think when you're building a company the vision you know, we've always wanted to have a social element to what we do. And no matter how big we are, there will be millions of dollars of scholarships we give out to those that are underprivileged or to, to kind of enhance women in tech, for example. And that's just values, right? Values should stay the same. You should have that DNA of wanting to do audacious things, right? We're not here to build some small uh, little side in the corner tutorial center. We are here to reshape the future of work. Now, that was a fundamental value, but the approach has evolved. There's been many trials and failures, many different things that worked and many things that did, which have evolved into what, what we are today because we just mm. started off very, very, very humble. You know, you were talking, we were talking about uh, training top tier guys and you're getting also feedback from the bottom. Now, I, I love the sandwich part. That's all the meat. It's in the sandwich, right? So that's middle management for you. You know, we're all stuck in the middle. And by we, I mean me. <laughs> so so I have this question about how um, 
you know, Accelerate is actually going to be able to help move the frozen middle. The biggest issue right now is middle management, there's, there's a huge talent pool, right? It's huge. Some motivated, some more motivated than others. But at the end of the day, there's only so much space to move up. So what can a, a, a player like Accelerate do for companies to identify top tier as well as maybe so-called second tier guys to push them up? I've never believed in forcing anyone to do something they didn't want to, right? Mm. If someone is at your company and is not motivated and clearly isn't responding to higher potential or more responsibility or go learn and, and, and explore and become something, you can't force it. Even if you think you can, you fundamentally cannot force it, mm. right? That's just nature. It's just the rules of nature. You can't force it, even if you think you are. The frozen middle is the majority, right? And so many people leave jobs because there's a ceiling they hit, so many middle management want to exceed the middle management, but they just don't know how to. And so one of the things that I found to be super, super integral is to not make LND and training a exercise, a check in the box. And this is something that the industry is waking up to. It's a very rude awakening. Like, you know, that thing when you spend uh, once a year, you know, everyone flies in for a, a three-day uh, immersive course on something at the Shangri-La Hotel. Again, it's super fun, but learning can't be static, right? There's no outcome. You, you, you need to have a lifelong learning attitude. You need to have new just-in-time learning for middle management to learn something new every day and every week. So we are a lifelong learning platform the same way that you're, you know, many people will go and, and go to Netflix every day or Spotify and, and have that relationship where they can keep getting new content. We're doing the same thing, right? By having live sessions, by having, you know, mentors that you can talk to every day, you're learning something new every day. So if you are a middle manager and okay, in order to get to the next stage, I need to have a bit more data analytics. Great. Have a couple of sessions, get that in. Next thing you realize is I would love to uh, learn Agile, Kanban, be better at project management. Okay, well, you can learn the theory anywhere online, but then to practice it and apply the contextual relevancy of that knowledge, you come to a place like Accelerate and then you make it fun, you make it addictive, you make it, you know, with your peers, with your friends, with other mentors, something that you want to do rather than a chore. And so I think the biggest thing is not the resources. I mean, content curriculum, it's in abundance. It's free. It's out there. It's really environment. It's really network. It's really mentors. And it's really contextual relevancy. If I went to YouTube and went to learn something on data analytics, it'd be useful. But if I went to learn about how in my industry, for example, a CEO of a much larger ed tech platform um, is using data analytics and I could speak to him directly, I've just short circuited my learning and I've gotten so much faster by getting straight to, as you say, to the meat of it. So those are decisions that matter. And I think people who have that sincerity and the motivation to truly do it from within, um, doesn't matter the price. It doesn't matter the complexity. It's really just that they will, it's in their DNA to get it done. Absolutely. When looking for a course, the, for me, right, the biggest challenge has always been that we've, We've been very blessed that again, people are, or HR, L&D, training and development people are always sending out courses. You should come for this. You should come for this. You should come for this. 
But there's always that one thing that holds us back. Is this is this really for me? You know, does this really work? Do you think that this is something that is easily addressed? Or do you really think that um, somebody needs to go in there and just go, hey, what's the real problem here? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you think about the music industry, back in the day, you had to buy music and albums, hmm. right? And now, today, we have the luxury of building our own playlists and picking our own songs and i think skills and education is unraveling and becoming decentralized in the same way and we actually have that as a core part of our value proposition that personalized learning that you learn the way that works best for you with the sort of topic that interests you the most and you become addicted to lifelong learning in your style your way for many many years to come that is the whole point of this so the same way education was once, you know, you had to go get a degree. That is like an album. It's a, a, a set album, set songs. A degree is like a set courses. It has to be like this, but it's unraveling. And so now the question is, listen to your own songs that you enjoy, or you pick and choose the skills that make the most sense for you and your career and your industry and your job. And I think it's really important that people wake up to that. It's really important that you take ownership of it. You don't just get told and, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. You should be the driver yep. in the seat. And you should pick and choose what things you want to learn. Correct. And that's also another conundrum that I, I realized in quite a number of peers as well. One of them is, yeah, I know this is good for me, but it's not what I want to do anymore. You know, it's it, well, yeah, it becomes you can't a, have like twenty people learning the same thing at the same speed, mm -hmm. and expect that all twenty of them want to learn that in that moment, right? There's this mm -hmm. really amazing rule. It's called the Goldilocks rule, which is getting a sense of flow and then getting a sense of tranquility and peace when you're learning. You get really focused on it, which is why personalized learning is really important. If I learn better at night, at two in the morning, and I learn better um, online speaking to a mentor, then with Accelerate Live, one of our platforms, I can do that. I don't have to rely on 20 other people. If I am supposedly interested in fintech, but I'm way more interested in the investment side in crypto, then I'll go pick and choose that. Um, so I really want people to like follow their curiosity mm. and that makes learning way more fun and way more effective. And the whole point of that then is to debundle it, decentralize it so that you don't have to be bound by time and space and format. You're bound only by curiosity, which is unlimited. And human potential is unlimited. It's boundaryless. How do you think this will apply to a more mature individual? I'm just curious because the younger generation would be more tech savvy, but the mature guys, you know, the again, the mature learners, right, who are coming in, who are a little bit more traditional, they still, we, we, we still get books and whatever, right? At the same time, do you think that they'll be able to find Accelerate to be useful to them despite the age gap? Yeah. Um, from our alumni, you know, we have data on it. We see some people who are super, super mature um, and they're still learning things like data science or coding in their 60s. It doesn't matter the age, right? I actually think age is more of a distraction and a stigma than anything else. So I think what happens is as you go through 20s and 30s, you may find 
learning um, the, the, the traditional way, the pre-recorded, let me go get a book and all doesn't work for you. You maybe have a more in inclination to social learning. So if you were on Accelerate Live, for example, you'd pick the group classes, right? You'd be in small group Zoom classes rather than, you know, one to 500 or a pre-recorded video lecture. Now, those that are maybe a bit more mature like to go at it with their own pace. It doesn't have to be like you and I live on demand and all. Again, I don't mm -hmm. want to generalize. Everyone learns their own way, but I don't think, and I mean, from, from the 15,000 alumni that we've had the chance and the privilege and the opportunity and the gratitude to try and impact and touch in some way, it matters the age at all. Right. And one more thing I would like to ask, right, is actually some advice from your side, apart from just looking for the courses. But this is a little bit more for the corporates, the organizational heads, the heads of training and development, learning and development guys. What do you think you would want them to do to be able to help um, set these middle management guys up for success, assuming that all of them are motivated and want to get to the next level? Is there a structure or step-by-step -step process that you will walk them through to give them uh, um, that, that heads up or step up? Yeah. Um, if I could say something to all the HR and L&D and CEOs that are looking at this issue, the number one thing I would try and tell them is to stop seeing it as an expense. Stop seeing learning and development and innovation that comes from education as something that is next quarter's business or next year's business. Too often, things that are important aren't urgent. And too often, things that are urgent aren't important. Again, I bring the health example. You can eat crap or, or skip the gym one, two, three days in a row and nothing will probably happen. But these are important things that you have to do. Um, they're not urgent. And the same thing happens with learning and development. People have a very short-sighted, oh, if I spend $1 on courses, where's the ROI? Well, mm. not everything has the most measurable ROI, but you know when you have more middle management that achieves more or is able to you know, create 7, 10 hours of efficiencies where they're focusing on other work that's related to your customers and your clients, these things add up a compound. So number one thing I'd say is take it seriously, right? And don't just delay it and, and don't just, oh, um, here's, you know, 10 bucks for people to go watch Coursera and, the, and just trust that they'll do it. No matter how smart they are, they need learning and development. And I think many, many founders, many CEOs, they're like, oh, we have all the top talent. They don't need to learn. They'll just do it on their own time and all. That's fine, but if you're spending all this money on really great talent, like a hundred bucks on talent, wouldn't you want to spend a hundred and one so that talent was like providing you that much more value? So taking it seriously and investing in talent is really important. The people part is the number one difference between a mega successful company that's ahead of its peers and that that is lagging. It's not money like if you went and seeded two companies a million dollars each the only thing that would matter is the caliber of talent and people hmm. whether or not one became the next big thing and one became a flop true 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 and now we talked about thanks so much for the advice to give to the 
bosses out there, you know, who are looking into learning and development, training and development and HR, I would like to hear more about how you run your company, actually. You know, um, one uh, for one example, you know, what is your style of leadership and what are the key leadership values that, you know, allow you to run your company in such a wonderful way, knowing that, you know, we're getting people to invest in our talent. I jolly well better invest double in my people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Accelerate has six core values. Uh, if you spell them out, that's kind of funny because they add up to faster. Uh, fearless, audacious, speed, uh, transformative, evolve, and respectful. So fearless means we want people to be bold and, and risk-taking, right? Um, a, audacious, we're not here to build something small. It has to be, if we're going to do something, it has to be big, transformative. Speed, well, it's in the name. We've got to move really, really, really fast. I think speed is probably one of my, my favorite values because I saw that when I started the business a few years ago, that doing things really fast was the make or break. We didn't spend a year or two years planning the website and getting the business model planned down before launching Accelerate. I spent like six weeks from idea to first boot camp with, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars of actual revenue within the first few weeks. I think speed is really important because it just allows you to iterate, iterate, iterate that much faster. Those compound like crazy. Transformative. So I think a lot of companies are, are fine in the skill space that want to make, let's say, the, the, the snail move faster, right? We're not interested in making them snail move faster. We're interested in taking that snail or the caterpillar and transforming them into a butterfly. That means if you're a accountant or a housewife that's learning a bit of Python, fine, you got a bit of skills. But if you're getting the full stack transformation and now you're a data scientist with a brand new trajectory ahead of you and you have all this potential that you've just been um, able to unleash, that's transformation. Same thing happens with an economy or a company. We're not here for them to do a check in the box little Python exercise, right? We're giving them uh, applied, customized, bespoke solutions so that the data science training, for example, is with their data for their people done in a way that is the highest ROI done in a way that's contextual relevancy. So if you're a finance company, it's the right tools for a finance company in that peer set. Um, evolve matters a lot. So we have this idea of starting small and, and thinking big, but just evolving really, really fast, right? Mm -hmm. The accelerate of a few years ago was tiny. It was like one or two people. And now we're in five different cities. Uh, probably the most important one is respect. So I think that one of the things that I've learned is having a, a culture where everyone respects everyone, customers, students, the receptionist, the janitor. If we just treat all of us, even when we have disagreements, right? And I, I think disagreements are great mm -hmm. if you can argue things intellectually, right? If you and I disagreed and we yelled at each other, it doesn't really help. But if we like really went and objectively looked at truth and both of us could find the truth by looking at it with each other's perspectives and do so in a way that's intellectually respectful, we are going to make a lot more progress than if one of us was just hot headed. So respect is really, really important. Um, 
And I think the most important thing comes from respect for yourself. So I try to make sure that anyone that's working at Accelerate respects themselves enough to want to take it seriously. When mm -hmm. we're here, we give it our 150%. We move really fast. It's not like, oh, you have to work 120 hours a week like an investment bank, but you do, you do take it seriously. And so making sure that people have that sincerity to take this really seriously and that it's a commitment to the mission more than the, the job uh, or to yourself and that we're all in this together, I think really, really helps from a value standpoint. Um, in terms of leadership, I try to let really talented people tell me and tell other leadership what to do. We set the vision, we set where we need to go, but it's really important that they feel empowered. It's a ownership culture um, rather than today you have to do this at nine o'clock and at 9.30 you have to do that. It just doesn't work, right? I think the last thing, uh, and this is something a lot of companies struggle with, is to remove silos. So we don't mm -hmm. really put people around, oh, you're marketing and you stay in marketing or you're sales and you stay in sales, right? You need to think of people in squads. And that means cross-departmental, cross-functional teams. A product person needs a designer and a salesperson. They sit down for a goal. The squad comes together and then the squad leaves after the goal is met. And so these squads that are focused more on the outcome, I think is really uh, way more interesting than than uh, this traditional, oh, you're this department and so you have to stay in a different floor and all. Because that sort of thinking is not going to help you innovate. Innovation is just creativity applied to a problem. Agreed. Agreed. Because everybody has a different perspective. Sales guy can still uh, help marketing. Marketing can still help sales. And likewise, operations can help in all these things. So everybody is able to contribute in different yeah. ways and clear all these blind spots up. If everybody could just exactly. work in these squads. Yeah, that's a great thing. And uh, it's great because you actually answered the question before I actually uh, wanted to ask you. <laughs> but there is one more though. Um, what is the corporate culture in your in Accelerate that is very unique to yours where you think that it should be shared with everybody else and others should model? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that separates us from a lot of different startups when it comes to corporate culture is the emphasis on societal transformation. I mean, there are, are, are alarm bells and gongs and celebrations in our team when we see our, our students get jobs, right? The sheer pride and joy when we see companies transform, that really matters to us. So the outcomes, focus matters a lot more than if someone did this really cool report. No one cares if you did a 75-page presentation that no one ever looked at. Surprise, surprise, right? And it's very different in, in many different cultures. And I think what's most important is people think for themselves what culture is important for them. When we, in the early years, were looking at other people's culture and said, we want to mimic that, we really messed up a lot of things. And we said to ourselves, what is important for us? What is unique to us? Let's think for ourselves. Let's really, really use our own experiences to understand what culture works best for us and be unique about it, I think that has made all the difference. And that uniqueness has been a, a central, unwavering focus on outcomes. Everything else is secondary. 
I would also like to find out one last thing from you. Now, you're a pretty fit guy, all right? You keep mentally very, um, very sound, very energetic. How do you do it? What's your secret? Is it nine hours beauty sleep? Do you have a special pearl powder and mask? What do you do? <laughs> you know, I used to read a lot about those things, right? Go and learn from leaders what they do. Mm. And I find the answer is actually not external. The answer is internal. Mm. Deep down, your body already knows. Are you a 5 a.m. guy or a work at 3 p.m. guy, 3 a.m. guy? Deep down, your body already knows if you're someone that needs eight hours or four hours of sleep. Mm. Being authentic and listening to your body is really, really important. But again, I try to break things down into objective realities. You cannot contravene no matter what. The objective reality is that if you put garbage food in you, you're going to feel like garbage. Um, if you are super, super good at going to the gym and you're, you know, consistent with it, then that consistency is going to matter a lot more than volatility. So mm -hmm. if you just ignore all the routines and all the this bit of advice and all that, I mean, yes, they're important. But if you just be sincere about it, if you just be authentic, like, really, really from the heart, want to be a fit person, want to eat well, want to sleep well, then you spend a lot less cognitive load on, did I wake up at 6 or 601? Because you just wake up on your own accord, right? Your body is telling you it needs to wake up at 7 or at 5. And I think really following that authentically matters a lot. You know, we've talked for about 50 minutes now and all this kind of everything about what you're saying all boils down to finding your own personal truth and being honest with yourself and being truthful and authentic to your, with yourself or to yourself in that case. You know, and that is probably the most difficult thing to do, especially in this day and age whereby we're clouded with so much noise everywhere. You know, social media, different people telling you different things, what's best for you and it's very Shut prescriptive. It off. Yeah, I know. Shut so off. that's the thing. Like, do you have that one tip? I mean, some people are doing meditation. That helps. But I, for me, I don't meditate. I have conversations with myself. I'm crazy in that sense to be as dismissive as it is, you know, schizophrenic, to hear voices in your head and address it, you know, like, oh, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Is this right for me? Am I being true to myself? I am consciously aware of questioning myself. That is what's happening with me you know what what do you do to shut out all the noise i don't try to shut it off my brain is as restless as yours and i think if you try and and right if i tell you hey edric don't think about this pen you just thought about oh pen. no here we go again pink elephant in a don't tutu in the corner and, of the room. yeah don't try and <laughs> control the mind you know Focus on what you can control, transcend the mind, go past a state of, of mind where you're so focused on the tip, the trick, the prescription, the advice, that bit of feedback. Like those are all so surface level. They're so shallow. Like look at the authentic. What do you really want in your life? What would you 
willing to be die what would you die for right what would you really really want to do if you had a very finite period of time which we all do people need to confront their mortality and realize that yeah 50 60 70 years imagine if you only had five years how would you live your life right live your life in a way that is so precious and and really really be honest right and most people are scared it is a very scary thing to confront that because that's why we collect all these little things to protect ourselves from finding out who we are now a lot of people think that oh you're running towards something i would argue a lot of people are running away from something ask yourself what are you running, running away from what do you truly want if, if you truly truly want something you'll just do it right it's less of five minutes ten minutes meditation right if you truly desire peace and tranquility and you're authentic with that want then you'll do things like shutting off social media hmm. right if you're truly truly focused and have clarity i think clarity matters a lot more on what you want than what you don't want than motivation a lot of people who interview with us right i like to ask one of my favorite questions is what do you truly want in your life and so many of the answers are so you know cookie cutter and i want to be happy i want to be successful and all like most people don't have that that internal maturity to look inside and say i have a lot of clarity on where i want to go and this is how i want to use the limited seconds and breaths that i have in my life and that's so important fantastic on that note right uh, on that note that is one hell of a motivating speech and with that that marks the end of the epic podcast we have one more thing at the end of the podcast and that is the epic questionnaire so what this is is a little game that we always play at the end of every uh, every episode that is basically a rapid fire session with 10 questions with our guest so are you ready, Mr. Levine Hemlani? Let's do it. Make it epic. All right. Now, Levine Hemlani with the epic questionnaire. Question number one. One word that you love the most. Accelerate. One word that you dislike the most. Uh, there's so many. Uh, can't. If you could have a conversation with one person, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who would that be? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Everybody loves Elon Musk. What do you say to yourself in the uh, uh, to yourself in the morning, either in the mirror or when you get out of bed? Life is short. Make every second legendary. Make every second legendary. Nice. Learned something again today. Name one superpower that you'd like to have. the ability to control time favorite dish to eat i could totally see myself enjoying uh, a pasta with a glass of wine overlooking the ocean mm. Favorite travel spot or the next travel spot you would like to go to once borders open up? 
I, through my sabbatical and all, had a chance to go to 75 countries over my life. Um, and it just shows you when you start to travel that much, how much is left. So I'd love to go to Bali. Uh, I've been there a bunch. I love that place. But new spot, I'd love to go check out Iceland. Mm. Something in the arts that you've always wanted to do, but yet to do so. Building companies is like an art. Uh, I want to build many companies in various fields like education or energy and healthcare. So I think of myself as an artist and this is my art. Uh, but if it was more creative art, I, I guess learning, yeah, learning how to write, like really, really write. And what does retirement look like to you? Doesn't exist. I'm going to keep doing things that, that inspire me until the day I die. Nice. And how do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? Someone who changed the world. Short, sweet, sharp, awesome. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that marks the end of Edric Poon and Company with Levine Hemlani, with the man himself. So, uh, again, Levine, thanks so much for joining us this week. And for the rest of you, again, check out Accelerate because you really, really have to see what they have to offer. Uh, ticker is down below. You've probably seen it. If you've been watching the whole thing, you'll see it below. The link is over there. Go visit their website. And lastly, thank you so much for watching. Like, comment, subscribe. We're available both on YouTube, on video, and, of course, Google, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's us for this week. We'll see you next week. Thank you, and bye-bye.